This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Welcome to episode 185 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Jim Atkins again on the podcast to discuss a classic Jimmy World third album, Clarity, in detail. He and I go deep into every single song, the album overall, and the upcoming live stream where they're playing this front to back for us on February 12th. Now, if you're in the future, Maybe this is on a streaming service, they put it on a vinyl, or some futuristic platform. Regardless, learn more about these live streams, buy a ticket or some merch at JimmyEatWorldLive.com. Or, if you're in the future, go to JimmyEatWorld.com, and maybe they're touring. Maybe coronavirus is over. Let's hope. Clarity came out on February 23rd, 1999. It most certainly changed my life, and if you're listening to this, it changed yours too. My life has taken many turns with music, both professionally and personally, and with this interview, it feels surreal still to think about holding this album on CD back in 1999 at WSOE, the college station that I lived at for four years. I remember driving to the MC them all over the place for this album, waiting in line for hours at CBGB's to hear the final half of For Me This Is Heaven. With my glasses so fogged up, I didn't see anyone. I did hear it though, and I still do to this day. This album is a pantheon and one that I think about and listen to a lot. It's an absolute masterpiece that many have called its version of OK Computer, or as Matt Pryor put it, it's the Paul's Boutique of Emo. If you dig this podcast, be sure and check out the other episodes from the last 10 years, almost, of doing this crazy thing. I appreciate everyone out there that takes the listen, and especially the Patreon supporters out there that keep this rolling. Thanks to you. This feels like the end, but I know this just feels this podcast even more. This is episode 185 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Jim Atkins from Jimmy Eat World, talking clarity. Waiting for the host with the most. Waiting for Tom. Tom to Tom, Tom, Tom. Baby, let me see that time. Oh, connecting. Please wait. here in in february 20 years from this record we're still talking about it you're performing it um (laughs) any thoughts as it sort of started to become more true where you started to play those songs you haven't been playing as much or the date started coming near where you were recording it did anything else flood back to you about it and being like i can't believe people are talking about this or this is insane yeah it's 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 totally insane (laughs) You know, like, I mean, we made clarity with the idea that we would probably never make an album again. <laughs> so, so it's, it's just kind of weird that, you know, we've gotten to make several albums since that, that it's just become this thing that, uh, people are still discovering and it's, and it holds up, you know, like I, it's, it's, I don't know, it's still something, it's still something we're proud of. And it, it, it's, it's, um, it is kind of shocking, <laughs> you know, like it, it is, it is still shocking. 
I was listening to the interview that um, I forced you to do with Eric in the hotel room. Uh, <laughs> you forced, twisted well, my arm. No, I, I just remember like being like, "Do you want to go hang out with Eric?" And I'll just record you guys chatting. Eric would be fun. Sure. But, yeah, but one of those things he mentioned was he's like, "This record, you know, sticks around. It's one of those ones that sticks." And but he also said, which I never got to ask you about, was he said you were in a weird spot at the time. And there's been other mentions of other guys saying, you know, it felt, you know, that. Again, you were younger and there were different feelings. Like, did you think that or was Eric just assuming or um, was it just because you were young? Uh, I don't remember necessarily being in a, any kind of weird spot. I mean, we were we were totally kids. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe in the sense that, I mean, we were no one in our peer group was making was taking that much time in the studio. So we definitely knew we were getting away with something. And we were really fortunate to have the resources we did. You know, we spent our whole budget. <laughs> we didn't have any money after that. Like, I just, wow. we're, you know, no one ever make a record again. You know, what? of course we're spending everything. Right. You know, we're going to make this rad. Um, and it doesn't matter. And I guess like, um, you know, so we made that and then we went on tour and slept on floors. <laughs> you know, like... Right, right along everybody else. I mean, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like, I don't know. You're like, you're like 21, you know, it's like, <laughs> what, there's, there's lots of things you're doing when you're 21. You're, you're going for broke. You're going for broke. Yeah. Everyone is going for broke. Can you talk about the live streams and what you've liked about the past uh, couple and then what you've sort of felt different for clarity? Making these concert films for these albums, you know, it was important for us. You know, we're not getting any younger. And <laughs> the idea of having a chance to to do something like this, it's a pretty big opportunity. You know, we're we're um we're lucky that we can. We're lucky that we can, you know, con other people <laughs> into helping us do it, because um it's super cool. Um, it's super stressful. You know, it's like making a it's like recording a, it's like doing a TV show and making a record and, and, uh, making a music video kind of, and, and making, and, and, you know, playing a show all out at the same time, you know, in a normal world, you'd, you'd just be able to focus on one or maybe two at the most of that. And now it's like, you, you have to focus on all those things and mix it and mix it. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's that too, you know, like, it also has to sound good later. So it's a big deal. It's just, you know, it's pretty stressful. It's, but we felt it was something we kind of had to do. Did it feel good being productive like this in a time when we're not able to see shows and, you know, do your cycle? Yeah, sure. Normal thing? I mean, what normally happens is like you'd put together your ideas for a stage show. And that might take a couple, that might take like a month of back and forth with, people that know how to do that and trying to communicate visual ideas and seeing mock-ups of that and, you know, trying to convey, trying to put together a basic set list that has an arc to it. You know, maybe you don't know exactly everything you're doing, but you know kind of what you want it to be like, how you want it to start, how you want it to, what sort of arc is going to happen and what sort of production elements are going to come in and out and make it feel like the show goes somewhere. Um, and then you tour on that and then you take that, that, that result and you, you know, go on the road with it and um, you know, it's expensive, but after maybe a couple months, then you've maybe paid off what it costs to put it all together. And we did three of those, <laughs> you know, like each album stream is like that whole process, but for one show and it's completely wow. different show by show. Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of insane. I realized, I realized what a big, what a, what we'd kind of gotten ourselves into <laughs> when it was too late to change anything. <laughs> right. Like, Oh God, I guess. Okay. All right. This is what we're doing. From your standpoint of you made this decision to do it and it's almost like the you started the book, you told everybody it's coming out and 
sometimes with a book, it feels like, oh, I can't do that again. Does, does it feel, feel exciting that there's an opportunity for other albums and other things in the future? Yeah, around sure. This I idea? mean, now that we, now that we have the experience in making this, I can see, um, you know, there's, there's definitely more opportunities. I love the idea that it's not a stage show. Um, you know, that aspect of it all was, was exciting to me. It's not, there is, there is no audience. So why, why would you set up in a way that's like band versus audience? Right. You know, cause there's no one there. Um, the opportunities that come with that are, are, are huge. You know, you're not concerned about like a, a being on stage. You're not concerned about the typical production choices you might make aren't constrained by that fact. You know, it's just about what, what's happening in the shot. And that could mean um, all sorts of things that you normally couldn't get away with on an actual stage. Exploring that is, is exciting. Right. And that, that music video element, you know, like with, with features having the phone and the way it ends. And it's, uh, when you started to describe, it's, it's almost like clarity. You were doing the, the clarity of videos. You were layering on top of layers. Yeah. I mean, cause you're not, it's not, um, you know, technology is at the, like, like cameras and film now is, is, uh, and editing is, is at a stage that, you know, it's never been easier to do you know, have your, basically you're limited by your imagination, you know, and it's, and it is, it's, it's not cheap, but it's not, it's, it's still attainable. Talk about the fans and the reaction, you know, that you heard so far and how that's felt and obviously not being able to be next to them and feel them. What, what's been that like to hear everybody? Well, I think it's, you just got to focus on, on doing something that you think is cool because there isn't that feedback of someone letting you know it's you're on the right track, <laughs> you know, as you perform it, um, or really not on the wrong track, which is helpful too. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like, that's that making a record aspect of it is that you're presenting something that's fully formed. You're not, it's not developing in a shared space with somebody like a concert would be like the, the show isn't developing and unfolding for everybody at the same time. You're presenting like an album to people like, here's this fully formed thing I'm showing you. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a little bit, I would think, I mean, we like it. So I think our fans would like it. Usually that's a good barometer. Like we, mm-hmm. if we think it's cool, then we know it's a good chance. Some of our fans will think it's, will agree with us. <laughs> Maybe not everybody, but some of them will. How, how does it feel about the reaction? Like, what has it felt just like personally to these first two and then upcoming? Like, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I think it turned out great. And I think if you're a fan of the album, it's definitely not something that we do regularly. So it's, I think there's a value in it for that. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's not, that was, an, that was something that we wanted to make sure was a part of this whole project. It's like, whatever we do it, there has to be some reason that we're doing it, you know? Cause like, if you wanted to see us perform a regular set, there's days of that already on YouTube. <laughs> like you can see that, <laughs> you know, all day. You, watch you can Warped watch Tour 99. Yeah. With and you can watch us without do, anyone singing. You can watch sweetness. us, you can watch <laughs> us do a regular set. Right. Anytime you want, there's days of it. So like we shouldn't do that. <laughs> so what would be something that's, that's, that's not the usual, that's, that has a, you know, that there's a reason for it existing. It's like, well, you know, performing whole albums seem like the, the answer to that. Cause that's not a regular show. Like we've done them in the past, but it's not been, it's, you know, it's been like 12 years since we've done that. Right. In any form. And also you're saying not the other pieces where it's a music video, it's all these other things on top of it. It's the live show in order, but that's that same, it, it, you know, it's not as much layering. Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, you know, the opportunities there to make a visual element that, uh, we wouldn't be able to in a live setting. Anything else you want people to think about before they rock out to clarity? <laughs> Or relaxed to clarity. 
Yeah, whatever you wherever you want to take it, it's up to you. Dress it up or down. <laughs> um No, I don't know. I think I think people will like it, you know, like a, I'm really happy with how it turned out. <laughs> you know, you get to listen to the original demo drum beat for 122395 that I dug up. Nice. The original drum sound or uh you know, I think it's actually the four, the original four track drum machine loop <laughs> wow. that, that is, exists that we dug up for it. What song are you most proud of on the record? Uh, I like the way 10 turned out for sure. You know, that's the, just the way that we play it now, I think is, it's just, uh, you know, we've, we've taken it to uh, all the elements of the record are there, but we've just kind of like perfected it, I think. Zach mentioned this. He just said, your voice, you know, sounds so great on this. And I think that's something I'm looking forward to hearing your voice now on these songs when, again, you were 21. And now yeah. you're able to sort of, did you, did you feel that doing it? Did you feel stronger? Well, also, I mean, also like it's not, there's not a, there's a strong incentive to, to perf- playing your songs well when you're filming it like this, like above trying to um you know do scissor kicks running around the stage for for people <laughs> yeah it's just about it's just about you know playing your songs well and singing well is kind of the number one job those you try to focus on and i guess i guess it worked Let's go track by track, Tom. Let's get into the weeds. Table for glasses. Table for glasses. Did you think this was going to be the opening song when you were recording it? It seemed like it would be the opening song. Yeah. I mean, Clarity was a big departure for us from Static Prevails. And we thought that uh, doing the unexpected, really slow song, really sparse thing to open it up would be... The punk rock move, <laughs> you know, like the anti hit you in the face, mm-hmm. hit you in the face. Do you remember anything about uh, else about the recording? About making table for glasses. I remember that um, the the end counterpoint harmony happened while we were in the studio. I remember that the the original version of it was just like me holding out the lead my skeptic sight, like, and that was the end of the song. I remember one night Golden Voice hooked us up with tickets to Bjork, except uh, Mark Trombino was like, no, this, this song needs something, dude. You gotta, you can't go see Bjork. You have to stay. So Tom and Rick went and saw Bjork and I came up with the, the, the counterpoint harmony at the end of the song. You know, I've never seen Bjork play live. It's sort of like, do I end up with this cool part of this song or do, can I say that I, you know, if, if it means trading off, never seeing Bjork play for this cool part of a song that's on my album, then, you know, I guess that's the way that I just, you know, fate has, has dealt the hand <laughs> to have, to have a really confusing metaphor with no closure. Lucky Denver Mint, the first single and an actual video. We made a video for Lucky Denver Mint with Darren Doan. That's where I met Jonah for the first time from far. He was a, an extra <laughs> In the, in the video. Um, yeah, Darren Doan. I think we worked with him because uh, he did something with the promise ring. He made, he made, why did we ever meet? Yep. Video. And so we, we, I mean, we didn't ha- know anything about videos. Do you remember what the budget was for that? Probably like three grand. Wow. And why, where's, where's this copy? I might have it on a VHS somewhere here in the studio. It was the first single off the record. Was that a hard decision? Oh, we didn't care. We had no idea. I mean, yeah. I mean, as far as I was concerned, Table for Glasses was a single. Like, I had no idea what what that meant. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, we, we had to get, uh, I mean, our record label had to basically tell us what <laughs> what a single really was. Um, was that Craig Aronson? Yeah, Craig Aronson was our A&R person for Capital and... I think even before it became a single, Craig had an idea for us to put 
a song from Clarity or a song or two, I think, from Clarity on um, on an EP with some extra songs that we ended up not reusing for Clarity. And that was what became the the EP that Fueled by Ramen put out because Craig was also working with Less Than Jake. And um, that's basically how we, how that came to be. Wow. And then, and then K-Rock decided they were going to start playing Lucky Demmermint. And then all of a sudden we had a release date for the album. I don't think, I don't think we would have, I think we might've, we might've been one of those bands that had their album shelved. Really? If that, if that, oh yeah. If that didn't happen. Wow. If K-Rock hadn't decided they would start playing Lucky Demmermint, then we probably wouldn't even put out Clarity. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, what was what was going on in you know that era '99? Those other records, like this, sounded so. I mean, it just it was it was a different record for the label. I remember getting a like a sampler, and it probably had Less Than Jake, Radiohead. I think Lucky Never Mint. Like it was just that. It seemed yeah. like it was all over the place. Oh yeah, I mean that was the '90s, man. It was like <laughs> let's sign six thousand alternative rock bands, right? And we'll give them six weeks of promotion. And, you know, if it's if it's not moving 30,000 records in a week, then next alternative rock band. Step up. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, I mean, and, and the criteria for that, no one knew anything about what was what was going to work or not. What about the recording of it? Do you remember anything? One the stuff that sticks out to me is definitely, um, you know, the ending with the drum loops and then the chorus, the, the, the starkness between the verse and the chorus. Denver is one of those, one of those types of songs. That's like just two parts, <laughs> you know, the chorus and the verse is the same chord progression. And the only thing that separates the two is, um, you know, besides the vocal melody is just like production dynamics. Like it gets bigger <laughs> and then it tightens up. I guess I guess it gets wider and then it tightens up to like a like a more closed kind of thing is the Did you know that going in or did that happen as you were recording it? Well, the original the original demo of Lucky Demmermint was just basically one drum beat. Was just that that the um the verse drum beat pattern with all the ghost hits in it. And I think in taking the demos and trying to, you know, having that production meeting about with, with, with Mark and the rest of the band about um, what we could do to height, to just, you know, punch things up a little bit. It was, um, you know, those, the, all those, all those, all those decisions are based off of like what you're, what you're getting from the demo. So elements of uh, elements of that just become, hyper accentuated or, you know, just, I got basically just developed from that. So the, I think we wanted to keep it, we wanted to keep it, things feeling somewhat similar because <laughs> there's definitely a magic to that, that happens with your first initial idea mm -hmm. that, that you're, that you're never quite able to replicate. You're just, you're just, you know, you're always, you're trying to, um, elaborate and develop, but there's, there is something to the initial idea that like you just don't get again. So a lot of this, a lot of the things like the end drum loop that kind of takes over, I mean, that's basically from, from, uh, just really leaning into the fact that like the demo had just one drum pattern, you know, we're, we're going to take this and we're going to really turn it into something big and annoying. We're going to lean into the fact that this is one beat by making it really loud <laughs> and putting delay on it. Like, just being obnoxious. Your new aesthetic started off with, uh, with completely different lyrics. And I remember thinking like, just, oh, this isn't working. Like, I don't know. There was, there was elements of it, like the kind of sort of call response, one voice coming in and like, kind of like finishing what the other lyric is saying. That aspect of it was, it was there in the original version, but just the, I don't know. The lyrics were dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I, I don't think I even recorded them in the studio. I was just like, Mark, I, I need to write new lyrics for this because <laughs> this is dumb. Mm -hmm. And Mark was, Mark wasn't, uh, you know, that was, that was really a conversation we'd never had. Um, I don't think Mark really saw it as his place to get into like the weeds of, of like, what is this song trying to say? 
you know, it was just sort of like, yeah, it's, it's their, it's whatever they want to do. It's their record, you know, like it's not for me to be telling him that this sucks. Um, but it sucked. So I actually took one of the songs that was on that, um, the EP that didn't make it into a song song. And I just reworked the lyrics to that so they would fit with the, the musical idea that ended up being your new aesthetic on Clarity. You know, and I guess like we thought it'd be funny after we made Clarity to go back and put the, uh, that first version of your new aesthetic actually out on the EP <laughs> that, pre- that preceded Clarity. Marketing. Yeah, a whole, <laughs> I mean, and we didn't have any other songs, so we needed that. So the next one, Believe in What You Want. I think the, I love that the, this, for me, the, the loud, soft, you know, the, or quiet, loud. Um, can, can you talk about that dynamic that you guys were kind of feeling? Cause listening back to this recently, it's like, it, I know it's between two records, but you hear pieces start to form. And I think this one to me feels like they're, it's leading into bleed. I don't know if this was a later record song rather that you wrote or some earlier in the process. I don't remember where believe in what you want came into being in the timeline of the other clarity material songs. Um, it was pretty simple, you know, I remember, um, toward the end of us recording clarity and I think it was just me and Mark at the studio. Like, I'm not sure. I think people, I think everyone else, I think went back to, to Phoenix and me and Mark were like, or they're off doing other st- California stuff. I don't remember. It was just me and Mark there for a few days toward the end, kind of doing bells and whistles, finishing up with stuff. I remember uh, Mark got an invitation just to to an A&R showcase from a band called Siren Six. They're a L.A. band. And it, and they were doing a showcase for like A&R people. And, I, and who knows? I, I don't even know. But it was like, dude, I don't want to go this by myself. You want to come with me? So I was like, okay. <laughs> we took it. We took, we took like a, an hour and went to this like rehearsal studio. And, uh, God, I can't remember who was in that band. There was somebody else that was in that band. I think we became friends with later on, but I can't remember. Anyway, they had a, like a, like a Farfisa keyboard as part of their shtick. And then we, we went and saw that. It was weird. <laughs> you know, like people just rocking out in a right for 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 uh, I, I don't know industry people or A and R people or record label people, producers, whatever. Um, and uh, Mark, and then I, I don't know. We just I saw that I was like, I want to put a Farfisa on this song. So that's where the keyboard part in the second verse comes from is because we, we went and saw a band, <laughs> a band do a wacky A&R showcase. Did you go back keyboard that night and do it? Yeah. Like, yeah, the keyboard on this part would be kind of cool. Like it does this guitar riff in the first verse and then it comes and then what would, what would be different about it for the second one was put, let's double it with a keyboard. Were those decisions hard? Like when you're sitting there in the studio, you feel like you're on the clock, you got this producer, there's all these songs in your head, there's things you could do. Did you feel anything like, did things, uh, did it feel overwhelming at certain times when you didn't know if you were doing too much or not enough, or was it, you were too young to even realize? I think we were a little bit young to realize, I mean, for us, um, given what we'd learned about making records, making static prevails and what we were beginning to learn, making clarity. Um, I don't know. We thought we were going nuts. Like I listen to clarity now and I think it's kind of tame <laughs> as far as like track count and weird production elements goes. But at the time we thought we were just going nuts. Um, that was the first project we worked on with Pro Tools, where, where Pro Tools was a part of it. And the ability to just say, to think about recording, not in a linear sense, but um, you can start and stop wherever. And there's basically an unlimited amount of things you can put on it if you want. So, um, you know, it was a different way of thinking about things. And we were kind of figuring it out as we went along. 
like you know, like making static reveals it was it was like okay you're playing <laughs> like it, it, there wasn't a lot of splitting up guitar parts like if there was um something that happened within the body of a song it was because like you performed it from the top <laughs> and made it happen um occasionally there'd be a specific overdub but it wasn't until we made clarity that we really got into that aspect of things. Like, no, this can just start. You can just start later in the song when this happens, when this specific sound that only happens there comes in. You can you can do that and you're not burning tape. Right. You know, there's no need to be economical with this. It's just about chasing the idea. Um, you know, so a really long way to say that, yeah, it was... Uh, we thought we were going nuts, but I, but in retrospect, it's kind of tame. Talking about uh, Sunday, one of the slow jams. Can you talk about the construction of that song? I don't know, man. I think it just ended up being kind of a self-evident thing that the chorus of Sunday was going to be an anti-chorus. It was always going to be like a, a breakdown kind of chorus instead of like, instead of getting bigger, we thought we'd just take everything away from it. And that would have been the the hook for it. It just didn't feel like, like, I don't think we even experimented with seeing what it felt like to make a big chorus out of it. It was always going to be like a, like the floor drops away. I made four track demos of a lot of these songs before I took it to the band, but I don't think I showed them the four track demo of it. I think I just like, okay, I got an idea. Here's this guitar riff. It kind of goes like this slow. And you know, it just became that. It seems like that's th- this is one off the record that you know people have a you know a strong association with or still you know stands out from. Uh, I remember it being in the set a lot back then, and and it gets it gets yeah. in there. Um, did you think again? You don't know those when you're doing that, but for this one, from the writing of the song, um, it seemed like it, hearing it, it seemed like it came easy. Yeah, Sunday. Sunday wasn't really a labored over song. You know, there's some, there's some, there's some songs that, that just sort of happen and you just have this feeling that overworking it is going to kill it. Like it's, it doesn't, it is what it is and it works. So let's, let's just stop (laughs) tinkering with things. Yeah. Sunday seemed like, all right, you know, Hands up. Right. Don't touch anything else. It's done. It doesn't need anything else. Crush. So this feels to me, and you can tell me I'm completely way off, uh, has a little static vibe, static prevails vibe. Crush is, Crush is probably the most static prevails song of the record. Actually, there's a couple There's a couple that could have probably been on static prevails, like Blister or Clarity itself, really. Right. Um, I guess there's like uh, the punk rock spaz. <laughs> of, of us was kind of getting grown out of, but we hadn't really settled into what the guitar dynamic that really works for us, like in bleed American onward, you know? So I guess we were still kind of feeling that out. Crush is sort of a residual momentum from, from the punk rock. Yeah. (laughs) It was still hanging out. Um, what else do you remember about that song? recording it or that it you know made made the cut so to speak i don't know i mean crush is another one of those songs that was just simple like there wasn't a lot we could do with it that that would there were some songs that lended itself to development and rearrangement reworking and then there's some things that just seemed like now this is just what it wants to be and crush is definitely one of those like i don't i don't know where else you could have taken it other than changing it so it's not it anymore what about where you placed it on the record i don't know uh uh, it seemed like the the sequencing of the album was definitely a big deal you know i mean of course sky harbor had to be last right it didn't make sense for that it it could be last or it could be first (laughs) it could really like just daring people to listen to something that's 13 minutes long first (laughs) there was something perverted about that that i really was into but no one else was um, I think we just put it, I think we just put crush where we put it so that it would feel like 
it would just break it would just break things up with how mellow it was the the album was about to get you know going from 12 to 23 95 to 10 to fireworks to heaven that right. that's a pretty like mellow you know moody and mellow and wandering kind mm-hmm. of section there we thought we needed one more rock song in the first half of the record so for 12 23 95 the unofficial christmas song or holiday song can you talk about the construction of that song? It seemed like it was it seemed like it was one of those ones where maybe it was just you and Mark and messing around or yeah, the, I think the that, construction I think it was of like, it. I think like Zach brought his drum machine over to my house once and was just just you know I, we had my four track out and he had his drum machine he brought over and he was just messing with it and I ran it through a delay pedal <laughs> or maybe that was maybe it was built into the to the Doctor Rhythm. That's a boss doctor rhythm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just put like a guitar to it. So that that was like a bedroom four track demo. That, what was it um, like bringing that to the studio, or what was it bringing like that to that? Say, hey, here we got this bedroom demo. We want to now, you know, I, mean, do I don't it. know. I really thought it was cool. Like something, you know, like leaving musical doors open for yourself was a big was a big thing for us. Like we wanted to, we were, we were excited about the idea of using production and using the studio itself to make records and to write songs. So we knew that as many like little things that we could do to leave future musical doors open for ourselves would only benefit us. And the idea of making a drum machine song like that, that leaves a pretty, if you buy into that, there's a pretty big door open for you. So do you think this opened the door for five, five, five? <laughs> yeah. It paved the way for later <laughs> drum samples songs. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like it's, you know, drum machine stuff is like, I, I grew up on pop music of the, of the eighties and like, that's all that was. You know, I mean, even Pyromania is just Lindrum samples. Right. So <laughs> you can say you can say you're into rock, but really, like, you're listening to a lot of drum samples, a lot of drum machines. And, you know, that's just a part of, like, what you reach for instinctively is, like, this is what it should sound like. That's great. We brought in, I remember we, we couldn't get the, we could not recreate it. We could not recreate the drum machine sound. So... What we did is, um, you know, I brought in the the actual digital tape machine that we had used to make the demo of that. And um, it basically just dumped that into the, the computer session. Wow. So it was the it was the beginning of clarity was the beginning of demos making it into the final album. Like that would just kind of become more and more easy to do with technology advancing now, like now we basically just work. There is no recording and demo. It's like, (laughs) it's all the same thing. Right. Because of just technology. I remember that, uh, the studio got broken into while we were taking a lunch break and the, the crackhead that, that did it stole our tape machine, stole our digital. I didn't have the tape in it. Thank God. Wow. I still I still have the tape for this that the original demos on. But uh they stole the tape machine. So the studio someone, had to someone now that that was was that the Capitol Tower or was no, that No, some... it was it was at the um the place off of Magnolia where we were recording Clarity. Clearview, I think it's called. I think you're right. You, yeah. You, they I broke in, right. they stole Mark's laptop. He was super bummed out about that. <laughs> and our out of all the stuff they could have taken, they took like my our our Tascam digital tape machine that sucked, <laughs> and Mark's laptop. They didn't touch wow. any of it. I'm pretty sure it was an intern there because like there was more expensive stuff they could have grabbed easily, but like microphones. That, yeah, and they just took like the dumbest thing. So that's crazy. So we almost lost that import <sighs> from twelve from your from your from your tape for that song. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. When we made Static Reveals, it was really weird to put a tambourine on things like that. 
That was like, oh man, ooh, Mr. Producer now putting a tambourine <laughs> on something. That's what's this? Right. And with making clarity, it was like, no, no, no. We're renting timpani today. <laughs> like <laughs> we're there's no rules anymore. Talking about 10. This is one of my favorite deep cuts. The overlapping yeah. uh, piano part. Can you discuss constructing that? That's a part that really stuck out for me. 10, 10 was another like uh, another thing that started off as just like a four-track demo with one drum beat. And I think that idea, um, you know, when you're listening to the demos of something and you're trying to think of like, what could we do? What does this need? Where could it go? You know, you're responding to that initial kind of thing. And we were recording the drums for clarity at sound city. And I think, um, super drag had just made a head trip in every key there. And I remember record. Nick, I remember Nick Raskalenis was, a, it was an assistant at sound city then who went on to do a bunch of stuff with Foo Fighters and be buddies with Dave. Um, he showed us like the tape loop from, from one of the, the super drag songs. It was like a, the real, you know, a quarter inch, a section of quarter inch tape that you would basically you record drums into it. And then you get out the razor blade and actually, you know, slight like, you know, use the use the repro heads on the on the tape machine to like listen for, whoop, whoop, you know, like where the drum hit actually is. And then you'd mark that and you'd actually cut it with a razor blade and then tape it. So you'd make like an actual physical drum loop. Wow. Um, and we're like, oh, man, that'd be so rad. Like, we should do that. We should do that with 10 because it just sounds like a loop performance anyway. Let's make an actual tape loop. We made an actual tape loop of Zach doing the, the verse pattern for 10. And we decided we would, like, overdub in the kit like that 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 would play on the chorus, like, on top of that. So, like, the drum loop would be just this constant thing that happened. Um and I guess like the, you know, overlapping line, like the over the, the, the piano line that comes in, that's just sort of a repeating thing. I mean, that's just a demo element, you know, wow. like I think when we were constructing, when I was doing like, you know, cassette demo for cassette, four track demos of stuff, like, you know, you have an idea for a part and you start to play it and then it's like, well, uh, I don't know what I'm doing with this, so I'm just going to keep playing it. <laughs> and then it just becomes like, okay, now it's now it's on for the rest of the song. Because <laughs> it feels weird when you take it away. So, you know, there's a lot of elements like that on 10. There's a lot of elements like that all over Clarity, actually, where, where it's like this, here's an idea for a part that makes this part bigger, but now if we take it away, it's really weird. So <laughs> it's gonna, it's just going to be on there now. It's just part of the song. It comes in on the verse on second verse and just stays because like it's weird if it goes away now. <laughs> I like that. Like how we're, and we're just going to put more stuff on it then. <laughs> now, <laughs> now this part, now this end part doesn't feel quite as big. Well, let's put more stuff on it. That's this is an arms race, an arms race for more. <laughs> Sometimes more works. Next one, just watch the fireworks. Was this song always this long? Yeah, fireworks was always this long. Fireworks comes from. I I want to say it comes from just like you know, jamming, like taking your, taking your, taking your riff and playing it. And then, you know, in band practice thinking like, okay, what do we do after this? <laughs> I don't know. What if it did this? Okay. You know, and then you, you just kind of make something like that. Like it was never, it was never a consideration. It was always, it was always this, like this linear thing that it was just going to go somewhere. I don't know who's, I don't know why we would just, why we put strings on it. <laughs> I don't know why. I think we, uh, we thought it would be cool. I don't know. This, the whole, the whole mindset of making clarity was, we don't know if we're ever going to make an album again. Right. I've heard you say that. Like you just so, like, we, we got to do everything. So what could we do that makes this something insane? You know, that was that was always the conversation that we were having is like, well, what more could we do? Because you had the time. Yeah, they had the time. And and what else? Yeah. What else are we doing? <laughs> Let's put strings on this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there was also there was also long instrumental sections in fireworks where it felt like let's cut this only if we can't think of something cool to put there. Otherwise, let's leave this and we'll figure out 
we'll figure it out. Like we can always cut it if we, if we just can't think of something, but let's not, let's try to think of something. <laughs> For me, this is heaven. Uh, the ballad still on the set. Um, can you talk about this song um, from a, from a writing standpoint and your, your thoughts about it now? I mean, for me, this is heaven is, 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 is definitely, um, it's kind of an example of more is more, you know, using overdubs and, uh, multi-track recording to as kind of cornerstone for what you're trying to make, you know, it's, 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 it's like, um, I think in writing that song and making the demo of it, there was just a constant, like, um, like you have like your, your basic, your basic like rhythm, your basic like root chord progression pattern of the bass, um, the bass and drums happening. Or actually, I mean, more, more, more than anything, the, the, the bass, the bass root note kind of walking around, um, as the foundation for it. And, you know, I, I guess, I guess taking that, taking the bass and, how should I say this? Taking the bass walking around use for the, the, the main chord progression, um, as just like a loop kind of left, kind of lent itself to a lot of different overdub ideas. And the trick to, for me, this is heaven was how many are happening at what section so that it would feel like it's got, it's, it's, it's presenting a theme and then it has somewhere to go. Like, you know, starting out simpler, like a big, starting out big enough to make it feel like it's, it's worth the dynamic lift, but also having room for it to go somewhere else as the song progresses. So, you know, it's just kind of a giant mess of things. But I also that think you it's take, like, that you take away that you start off with less of it. Like it, it, it ends up in the mess. But by that point, like you've introduced everything like uh, by itself. So it kind of makes sense that it's all there at the end. What I liked is that it has this crescendo. All those things are interplaying and then it kind of jumps off a cliff, but then its wings come out and it sort of kind of has its another lift at the end. Do, uh, that's just a, a really, I know it's, it's probably simple, but the way that all those things kind of come together and then they drop off. Um, can, can you talk yeah. about that part of the song? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the overdub philosophy for making clarity and, and, you know, for me, this is heaven is a big part of it is, you know, I mean, I guess like trying to, trying to use different instrumentation, different guitar sounds, different keyboard sounds to make it, to make it seem like the, the, the hooks that you're presenting are earned, you know, like the, here's this thing that comes in and you know, if for no other reason, it's, it's just something new, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why is this here? I don't know. Cause it's a piano and it's the first time you hear it. Right. I don't know how else to explain that. Like, it was just a constant, it was just a constant search for, you know, what could happen here that makes this part worth listening to. <laughs> right. Like it's not that, enough that it just happens again. It's got to happen again in some other way or some new instrument is there either mimicking a, a an earlier line or presenting something new, but it's constantly, it's constantly changing and it's constantly giving you something, some new sort of ear candy to, as a hook. Mm -hmm. I think more, I think a lot of people wait for the end. I mean, there's this, you know, crescendo and then it drops and I feel like a lot of people like that, that's sometimes their favorite part of that song. Yeah. I like the, I like the fact that, I mean, 10 kind of does this too, where all of a sudden it's just, um, I, I always liked things like, um, I guess Denver does this too, but like the, yeah, I always like, I always like, um, I guess, a, I guess a, a kind of a, a, a device that I like in songwriting that started happening in clarity with, with a good effect is the, uh, the idea of like, you, you're just 
all of a sudden you're in a bigger place and you're not exactly sure how you got there. You know, like, like the end of, for me, this is happened when the, the, the counterpoint melody is happening along with the, the chorus melody that you're familiar with. The, the, the piano line is there. There's a guitar line doing the same thing. There's all this percussion stuff that was kind of around before, you know, there's the droney guitar thing. It's all of a sudden, like nothing, nothing really, nothing really drops, but all of a sudden things, all of a sudden you're sort of surrounded and you're not exactly sure how you got there. Like I, that's, that's kind of the thing we were going for. And it whips you into a frenzy. It kind of has this like, yeah, there's like a mania a, to it all that, 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 uh, is, is exciting and, and, uh, anxiety inducing <laughs> kind of at the same time. Right. It's a tension. It's like, a, it's like a, it's, um, it's, just, it's, it holds you in a tension, a state of tension, but it's, but it's also the biggest part of the song. So it's a weird, it's a weird mixture of things it's trying to produce there. You know what I mean? And, like, and it, and it lets you go. It lets you back into the easy, the not easy, but you're hearing that a familiar thing again. There's not as much around right. you. That, that yeah, that's the what kind of the fact that like the main thing it's presenting is, is a familiar is, has been presented already a couple times in the song and you're, you're familiar with it makes it a little bit less hopefully it makes it more exciting than anxiety inducing <laughs> we're not we're not trying we're not trying to like really freak people out <laughs> trying to make cool stuff not you know sometimes freaking people out is cool but right hopefully we're not stressing people out mm-hmm. blister f- fan fave this one feel obviously tom's on this um tom is on this <laughs> still on the set it's a rocking song tom sings well, it, it also gives you a minute. To, gives me a minute. Wait. Yeah, man, I can go. I can just drink water and just be a guitar player for a second. It's right. kind of nice. Yeah. Any anything about this song you, you remember about it? It becoming a song. I think it was. Did... A, I think it was like a like a not a very well promoted single, but I think we put it out as a single. I think we actually had Tom Lordalgy or Chris Lordal one of the Lordalgy brothers mixed it as a single. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> there's probably like several, uh, there's probably some promotional copies in the college department still to this day in right. the Capitol tower. <laughs> right. Who brought that song to the band? Was it Tom? Or the Riff? Was it you? And then you guys worked on it. That's all a blur. It's kind of a blur. I think since Tom sings it, it was probably something that um, either he jumped on first in band practice and said, Oh, I got an idea for this. Or it was something that he brought in. I think it was probably, probably more something that happened in band practice that he just, Oh, I got an idea. That's how we used to do things. He would, if whoever, whoever, you know, basically just whoever jumps on, on the idea first and says, I have an idea for this meant that they got to sing it. Did it feel quick when you were recording it? Like, was it, we got this song down, we know what we're doing. Yeah, I think so. Blister was one of those other, was one of those easier songs that just seemed like, you know, there's a ceiling to what this song wants to do and we can only mess it up. (laughs) You know, like it's, 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 it wants to do this thing and to overthink it means it's not, it's just going to kill it. So it's going to be a rock song. Not a lot of overdubs. Clarity. Can you talk about the construction of this song or or the some of the thoughts around it when you think back? Clarity of the song. Clarity of the title track. Clarity of the title track. I th- I think about the wall of sound. Yeah. Clarity Clarity is another um for some reason I thought it'd be fun to 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 uh tune a guitar to open E and write songs around that. <laughs> And uh, Clarity, the song is one of those that ended up being a, a Clarity song that was open E, like, you know, a not usual, a not, I don't know why, I can't tell you. I think it was, you know, from reading uh, guitar magazines with Sonic Youth talking about like, <laughs> talking about their, you know, process of having a ton of guitars and different tunings for each thing. 
You know, there's definitely a sound. There's definitely a sound that comes from that where you can use open strings that are sympathetic to everything that you're doing. That's not the typical sound. So there's a couple songs like that, like fireworks for me, this is heaven. Clarity are all songs that have the open E guitar. Actually, what I'd say to you now is, is an open E guitar too. But every once in a while, we, we come up with an idea for, for a song that has the, the an alternate tuning. And it sort of forces you to think about things in a different way. Um, sort of like when you capo. Yeah, exactly. It kind of just instantly changes how everything sounds. And like you sort of know what to do with your hands. But they're not <laughs> sounding exactly the way that you expect them to. Because like you've changed some element of it. Right. And that always, that usually leads to you know, making something. So clarity of the song kind of grew out of that. Goodbye Sky Harbor. Obviously a lot of mentions for this song. It's, um, you know, you had a shorter version that you would play live. And then for clarity tour in 09, there was a longer version. Um, you've mentioned a lot about, you know, that construction of that song and all those things. Anything else that you've been thinking about as you've reworked it again, not reworked it, but pl- started playing it again, for these live stream, um, anything else popped in your head as you were either mixing it or listening to it again or playing it with the guys? I'm just surprised we were able to kind of approximate what we did in the studio with that because there was no consideration for it becoming a, there was no consideration for it being performed at all (laughs) the way that we made it on, on the actual album, you know, like, um, usually what happens with an idea is, You'll have your initial idea that gets fleshed out into some kind of presentable demo form. Maybe it's something you're performing with a group, like as a group, or maybe it's something that like just stays that you kind of, at some point you have a band meeting about how to figure out how to, how to actually make, perform it, how to make it for your recording. Um, and that kind of goes out the window once you actually start recording you know, it can, it can go in any number of directions depending on what you're feeling or what your idea is. Um, and then you end up with your recording, you know, and then you have a band meeting, another band meeting about how, how it is your, what, how are you going to perform this new version of this thing that now you've changed it and added things and, you know, what are you going to do? And at first, what we decided to do was there's no way we're going to be able to perform this. So we're just going to, you know, we're going to take the quieter parts and we're going to make those big, you know, and, and we're going to take this guitar melody part and that's going to be now this, now a uh, really loud guitar thing. And that's going to be it. You know, it's going to be a four minute thing at most. And that's, that's how Sky Harbor became the, the the live version of it. And it wasn't until like the 10th anniversary of clarity that we had another band meeting and said, okay, what is there? Is there some kind of way we can, we can actually maybe replicate this. It doesn't make sense. It still doesn't make sense to perform it the way it's on the, on the record. Cause the, you know, the, the way the record is the the whole idea is like, we're going to use an entire roll of tape. And the idea is like, Right when you think something else is going to change, we're going to wait one extra one. We're going to wait one extra melody after you think something changes, then it's going to change. So it's really long. And that's, that'd be the lamest thing to watch. So we, you know, kind of came up with the idea. Okay, so what, what are the main parts? What are the, what's the, the important things? How could we do that? And, um, so what you're going to see on the clarity stream is basically that. Like what is the way we can present all the big all the main elements of what's happening but in a more digestible amount of time. You know it's like okay, I get it. <laughs> you know this thing this is okay, I I I get it. This is happening now. I see I see what you're doing. There's no reason to have 6 minutes of that now that I see Right. Exactly what's happening. Like, what do you gain by that? <laughs> right. Nothing. So, 
So this you know, was the third band meeting and then the third decision on yes. advice. Before. Yeah. And I think like it ends up being maybe around seven minutes. Nice. So it gets all the main parts that the original version of it does or the clarity version of it does. And, and um, you know, it still isn't going to be too boring. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Your time is precious. You've oh. got mixing to do. And I always appreciate you taking it. Yeah, thanks, time. Tom. Rock and roll. Awesome, man. Take care. I'll talk to you later. Bye.